Many years ago, <laughs> I had the most embarrassing moment of my life. And believe me, this was the most embarrassing moment. But the funny thing is it had nothing to do with me. My whole family was coming back from Yom Kippur services. Now keep in mind that my synagogue at the time was at a very long and busy street which formed a very real spine of the Jewish community in Toronto. In other words, the place was wall-to-wall Jews, Jewish schools, synagogues, butcher shops, bakeries, you name it. It was Jewish, and it was there. And seeing that it was about time for morning services to end, in all of these synagogues, uh, Jews were pouring out into the sidewalk. And just then, driving up the long, broad street, just as we pulled out of Holy Blossom Temple in Toronto and in front of all my fellow Jews dressed up in their Yom Kippur best, it happened. Without warning, our Jewish anonymity was broken as the muffler simply fell off my dad's car and was left in the middle of Bathurst Street right behind us. And all of a sudden, these Jewish eyes were watching us. I suppose I was embarrassed because the muffler fell off of a car that somehow meant something about my, about my family. Or more likely, since most people didn't drive on Yom Kippur, I felt like I was somehow being judged. Today, I laugh with my sisters when we recall that story. But 55 years ago... I promise you, I didn't laugh. You know, it's funny how we remember things, and not just the event, but also how something made us feel, whether it's a broken muffler or a graduation. These are the events, the, 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 and, and especially the feelings and emotions that form so much a part of who we are. I remember one of the first times uh, that I first learned about Israel, or at least the Israel that I imagined. My temple had a very large youth group, and there was a room. It was our youth lounge. And, and uh, uh, there was a poster in the youth lounge, ironically, of the most non-Jewish place in Israel. It was a Roman city called Khazaria, and named after Julius Caesar and built by Herod the Great, whose Jewish bona fides were questionable at best. In any event, if you've ever, anybody been to Israel, anybody seen the aqueduct? Okay, so you all know what I'm talking about. The, 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 uh, uh, the, the picture was a big poster of the aqueduct that was built by the Romans 2,200 years ago. It brought water from the northern part of Israel to the south. Now, the engineering re- required to build such a thing is really mind-boggling. Uh, not to mention its construction. So in this picture, in the youth lounge, there was a picture of teenagers sitting around a campfire with a guitar in hand, sitting under the aqueduct, looking out into the Mediterranean, into the setting sun. That was my first image of Israel. And that first image, in my mind, was, of course, a pure fantasy. And it is almost always the fantasy that brings you to a place, either physically or in the imagination. And you see this very clearly 
If you go to the Western Wall, the Kotel in Jerusalem, watch the people come and go. How they react indicates how they imagined the Kotel to be, especially if this is their first trip. I recall once sitting by the Kotel for no particular reason eating a falafel, honest, when a tour group from Holland showed up. The identically dressed tourists all came out of the bus to visit this holy site. But one man in particular caught my eye. As soon as he exited the bus, he crawled on his knees from the bus area, which is about 400 feet, to the Kotel to worship at the Kotel. On his knees. It was quite a sight. And the man I was sitting with and I just kind of looked at each other and said, huh? But I have come to learn that any place you consider holy has holiness attached to it. Being exposed to the imagined Jerusalem at church through his Bible stories, his Jerusalem was a biblical Disney world. It was a magic kingdom where prophets and the good guys and the bad guys, heroes and villains walked. How could it not be a magical place? And perhaps you have had this Disney-like vision of Israel. And to be honest, I still get chills when I'm there, even though I've been dozens of times. But the reason I get chills now is not from excitement or anticipation of a tour or a convention. My experiences now are more nuanced. They're more critical. Speaking of Disney, did you know that the centerpiece of the theme park is Cinderella's castle? And when you walk in, it is absolutely empty. There's nothing there. And when you see the truth, it brings you back to earth. And the truth about Israel is different than what we expect on the inside and it's much more nuanced and complicated. We pride ourselves on what Israel has become. And for those of us who invested so much of ourselves spiritually and financially and in every other way, we have good reason to be proud. Israel is a young nation filled with opportunities, safety, and primarily a place of refuge and retreat for every Jew in the world. It is not called the Jewish homeland for nothing. And yet, even among the banana groves in the Negev and the awesome technical innovations, the struggle for democracy and human rights and the stuff that makes a dynamic country dynamic, there is something extraordinarily ugly that has been stirring in Israel. If you read any of the stories coming out of Israel, one thing you will see a lot of are protests and demonstrations. When I was there in February on a very, very cold night, I watched the Tel Aviv Marathon in the morning and then witnessed a huge demonstration of 250,000 people at night. They were protesting the proposed judicial reforms that would and still may transform Israel into something alien and extraordinarily dangerous. And this was only the beginning of the protests. Just this past summer, Stella was teaching in Israel and saw demonstration after demonstration nightly from her hotel balcony. 
There were demonstrations that shut down the airport, that shut down traffic all over the country. In fact, shut down the whole country. There were and still are demonstrations of such ferocity that thousands of reserve soldiers have told their commanders, we are not showing up for duty. Many soldiers have gone on the record saying to the effect, I am not in this army to fight for a dictatorship. So what is it that made Israelis so mad? Without going into all the political details, it basically boils down to this. <laughs> the Israeli government wants to totally override the Supreme Court. In other words, if the Supreme Court makes a ruling, which happens to be disliked by the government, the government can simply override it. The consequences cut to the very heart of what Israel is supposed to be, a nation of equality and equity. And this is what worries people. Say, for instance, the government seeks to rule that the state has no obligation to protect a minority people. Let's say LGBTQ or Bedouins or Israeli Arabs or Reform Jews. The Supreme Court says that it is overreach and strikes it down. But the government basically now has the right to say, who cares, and makes it a law anyways. In other words, every value we hold dear can be eliminated by the government by the stroke of a pen. A colleague of mine said it beautifully. He said, we have to speak out for our most deeply held views, just as we do at home. Just as we speak out for justice at home, we have to speak out for justice in Israel. Just as we speak up for the powerless at home, we must pursue that in our relationship with Israel as well. Just as we engage in the work of racial justice at home, we must hold that value here. As people who love Judaism, the Jewish people, and Israel, we must do our part to keep the near to me, that eternal light of our highest values burning. We know that if a government is intent on removing rights from one group, sooner or later they will remove the rights of a group that you care about. Too many people think it won't happen to them until it does. And without checks and balances, it always does. This is the issue that was part of the conversation between the then Prime Minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, and Rabbi uh, Karelis, who was an authority on Jewish law. And they were discussing on the eve of Israel's independence in 1948 how religious or secular non-Orthodox Jews and non-Jews in the land of Israel could be and how they should live together. And the rabbi answered with a parable, parable found in the Talmud. And this is the parable. If two camels, camels, if two camels were ascending Beth Horon, that's a mountain, and there's a steep path going up, and they met each other on the path, if both of them try to ascend, both would fall. One of the camels was carrying a large load, the other was not. Therefore, the one with the load has the right of way. What the rabbi was saying is this. Those carrying the load get to the top and get to the top first. And who carries the load, according to the rabbis? The ones laden with commandments and Jewish tradition. Only the orthodox, the secularists, carry nothing. And therefore, they have to give way to the orthodox.
Ben-Gurion responded that the esteemed rabbi was completely misguided. He reminded him that the Chalutzim, the pioneers who carried the load since the early 20s, literally built the land. Those were the ones that created kibbutzim. Those were the ones that emptied the swamps and planted the field. And this does not even take into account how these secular Jews defended the land with so many dying in the deserts of the Negev and in the streets of Jerusalem. That conversation at the establishment of the state is one that still goes on today. Only now it is not so much of a conversation. Without paying heed to Jewish history, the extremists in the Israeli government are creating a society of distrust and fear and hate. They have split the country apart, and then they expect to be able to govern. The Maccabees of the Hanukkah story tried the same thing. It didn't work. It led to a civil war that culminated with the Romans conquering the land and destroying the temple in 70 of the Common Era. What is happening now today is an earthquake in Israel. But like all earthquakes, destruction reveals things hidden. The Israeli government has revealed that most Israelis don't want rights taken away from minorities. They don't want a Jewish version of the Taliban. They don't want a country based on the Talmud or medieval codes. And they don't want to have to go visit somebody in the hospital during Pesach. And instead of being searched for weapons, they, were, they are going to be searched for a slice of pita. I'm not making this up. That's actually in the proposed law. The earthquake has also revealed something else. A searching for what it means to be a Jew in Israel, regardless of the kind of Jew one is. It has revealed a conscious awareness, a discussion of values. It has revealed the tension between what the Israeli Declaration of Independence espouses and what it actually is. It has started a discussion about the place of texts and Jewish tradition in Israel, and it has done something else. There has been a wonderful awakening of Israelis searching to reconnect with Judaism, to take away the monopoly of the burdened camel from the Orthodox. Israeli reform and conservative and reconstructive reconstruction rabbis have told us that more and more Israelis are coming to services, something I can attest to. Since when I was in Israel for the rabbis' convention in February, I went to a place, which you've probably never heard of, called Beit Shoham. It's about 15 miles outside of Tel Aviv. The synagogue was small. It was contained in two house trailers, you know, kind of squished together. And the rabbi there was filled with energy. Her guitarist filled uh, um, uh, the the um, uh, uh, was also filled with energy. And the congregation, Gavolt, they were literally shaking the windows with joy and Shabbat celebration. It really was a magnificent moment. The only Reformed synagogue in this small town that had 20 Orthodox synagogues was filled with loud, boisterous, enthusiastic Reformed Jews. Now, whether or not this is really a reaction to the extremism of the government, we'll only be able to tell in time. But the enthusiasm is real. 
as are the many text groups, the devotion to democracy, the recommitment to Israeli Jewishness and basic human rights for all Israelis, Jews and non-Jews alike. And lest anyone say that we have no say in what goes on in Israel, my response has been and will always been, when you needed me, you called and I came. And I have as much invested in the land of Israel with Jewish values as you claim to. The rallies and the protests that we are seeing now in Israel are not about hate. They are rather about love. In a country, in our country, protesters burn flags. During these Israeli protests, not a single Israeli flag was burned. Flags are waved proudly on both sides. Indeed, as a colleague said, this is a movement of people who distrust the government but love the country. The people who are taking to the streets are fighting for an Israel that we all said we were proud of and hope that we can be proud of once again. They are fighting for a democratic, equitable, and successful Israel. And as North American Jews, we ought to be determined that the past 50 years of dedication to the land of Israel was not for nothing. We have all seen what happens when the fundamentalists take over. All we have to do is look over the fence to Lebanon, a total disaster of a country. But Lebanon is not Israel. And with Lebanon as their model of what not to do, Israelis fight for a different future because Israelis know history. And they are determined by and large not to allow King Herod back into their homes. Golda Meir said that Jews can't afford to be pessimists. And she was right. How easy it would be to turn away from a Jewish homeland, to conclude that the Jewish Taliban is now in charge and let them suffer the same fate that the Jews did under King Herod and the Romans. But we can't do that. Our job as Jews is to be eternal optimists. What is unchanging during this crazy time is that we are rediscovering the light that flickers from time to time. We were out on the street on that cold Tel Aviv night in February, not because we have no hope for the future of a Jewish state, but that the Jewish state that defines itself on its own founding documents is the state that we embrace. Ideas of equality and democracy, which this present government especially and assuredly does not care about. A colleague of mine asks and answers the question, so what's at stake at all these rallies? And my answer is only Jewish history. It's really that simple. It's really that compelling. I pray for protesters and I pray that their love expand. Let every soul see the love that they have for their country. Let the prophet's vision of being a light to the nations come to be. And Israel will not be a light to the nations with the extremists in charge. The only light they will see is a fire of division, disgust, and distance of one Jew from another. In, indeed, if the extremists get their way, they will ironically become the new Romans. Nothing less. 
This is why, despite standing on the verge of disaster, I support the protests and, and those who stand in the way of Jews who literally want to enslave other Jews. Those will be the heroes of the story. And one day there may be a holiday commemorating them. Instead of latkes, the new holiday food is going to be falafel and shawarma. That day is going to come. The light of equality and democracy is not going to go out. And each of us here in Elberon can help make that happen. Simply go to the temple website or go to one of the uh, websites in the reform on the reform uh, uh, reformjudaism.org website, and there's links to reform Israeli institutions that are on the forefront of the struggle. This experiment called Israel will not be hijacked by the Orthodox if we make our voices known as loudly as those that I saw on the streets of Tel Aviv, of Haifa of Ashkelon, Jerusalem, Jaffa, Beit Shan, and every town and village and kibbutz and moshav that still carries the load and the vision of what Israel says it wants to be. I will be there. I hope you join me in spirit. Shana Tova.